My ability to summon fish is of no use for this toppling building. Representing the United States West Coast, Dazzler. Welcome to the Trade Secrets Podcast. They like a little badunkadunk. Yeah. Is, is, am I allowed to say that? Comic book talk by comic book geeks just like you. Everybody's in the midst of grief and Reed Richards' wife is hitting on the new guy. And now your hosts, Luke Matthews. You're right. A- Andy Pooping doesn't count. Andy Padel. Oh, that Spider-Man, he was just a clone. And Joel Simon. <laughs> if you want to kill him off, just leave him dead. One hour of pod podcasting, pod pod casting, pod casting. We'll twat all about it later. Yay! Welcome, everybody, to episode forty-six of the Trade Secrets Podcast. Uh, I am here with Andrew Padell. It's eleven o'clock. Did you start at nine? <laughs> Joel Simon. Hey, hi. And I am Luke Matthews. <coughs> this episode we are talking about Joel's suggestion for the show. It is a Mark Miller Lionel U joint called Superior. Came out uh, seven issues. Took them two and or a year and a half to publish. Six issues? Not seven. Seven. <coughs> seven. It was originally supposed to be six, and okay. then they add an issue to the end. Um, and it's, uh, started in uh, 2010 and finished in 2012. The to no one's surprise, yeah, the, a Mark Millar uh, book does not come out on a regular basis. Yeah, the the hardcover uh, hardcover trade came out in 2012, and the trade paperback came out earlier this year. Um, we will talk about that in a little bit. Uh, I was looking up I was looking up comic news for us to talk talk about, and there's really not much. The only thing that's that seems to be a big deal that everybody's talking about is uh, the end of Jeff Johns' run on on Green Lantern. Um, something like that is like nine years yeah and, and i i i don't want to diminish the importance of that because i actually think jeff johns is one of the better writers in the comic book industry and he's definitely one of dc's best guys um but i just i could not be asked to give part of a fuck about green lantern just can't do it I have a Black Lantern ring somewhere. I think it cost me ninety nine cents. Yeah, I have I have a Green Lantern T shirt that I got as part as a promotion from the Versus System trading card game. Oh man! Yeah. Do you read Green Lantern at all, uh, Joel? No, no. Eddie Eddie's our DC guy, and unfortunately, he's gone for a couple months. So uh, uh, I I don't really know what to say. I mean, I su- I assume this would be somewhat equivalent of Ed Brubaker ending his run on Cap. You know, it's like it's like DC's equivalent to that, but yeah. You know, I did. I did read the the reboot that uh, Jeff Johns did, and it was Green Lantern coming back to Star City. It was after like, the he turns into what? Par- not Parallax. Parallax. No, no. He no. Uh, Green Lantern actually turns into the like, Spectre. The Spectre. That's right. And it's after the Spectre, and he destroys Astro City or Coast City or whatever. Coast City. Yeah. So it was kind of the reboot and he fights a shark man um and that was one of the episodes yeah yeah i i saw the green lantern movie okay that was enough green lantern for me that's e- ever about on par i guess there was some pretty cool stuff i tried to i tried to read the the whole black lantern and white lantern and it was so darkest night darkest night and, and brightest day. day yeah uh, darkest night was kind of cool but there was a lot of stuff that just really didn't 
relate and they just threw it in just because and I didn't get like there was a whole Hawkman on an, a planet of cat people that were fighting also Hawk people Griffin <laughs> yeah yeah it, that look that you just gave me that's what it was like reading it it was like how does this tie into Darkest Night and then Brightest Day was so just convoluted and convoluted and there was so much prior history dc history that you'd have to know that it just was impenetrable but wasn't the, the brightest it wasn't brightest day supposed to also be the like the wrap-up of the old universe before D- new 52 like wasn't that what it was no no that uh that wrap-up was uh the fight between aquaman and wonder woman i can't remember what but god why can't i God, that seems so fucking inconsequential. Right, right. That's exactly what I'm like. Wait a minute, you're 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 ending an entire universe, and you're Flash doing point. it with a. It was Flash oh point. Flashpoint. You're yeah. right. Okay, okay, okay. It was Beca- a fight between Arm Fall Off Lad and Plastic Man. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it might have been Elastic Man. I'm not sure. I can never tell them apart. Yeah, as their last hurrah, they destroyed the world, and Aquaman was trying to flood Europe that was taken over by uh, Wonder Woman as the land of Amazons, and then Flash just kind of just vibrated really fast and changed the whole universe and that was it wow that's so stupid yeah it, it really was and then we got the new 52 and so wait a minute these are the these are heroes right these are the heroes mm. right yeah awesome destroying like taking over countries and destroying the world and thanks heroes yeah. appreciate your help <laughs> well the new Jesus. thing now is the, is the trinity wars where they're they're going to have the the trinity fighting against each other uh, yeah, but that, this is funny. The thing is, is this was something that uh, Alan Moore had thought of back in his days when he was writing for DC. And they were like, no, you're crazy. We can't have that. And then, you know, 15 years later, it was like, well, you know, they had to wait. Like they had they to wait until his beard had fully developed yeah. the monstrosity that it is. I was going to say, they had to wait long enough that they didn't have any legal ramifications for using his ideas without his approval. Yeah. Um, so, uh, like they would anyway. <laughs> One <laughs> moral uh, of the moral of today is that the comic book industry fucks over Alan Moore, but no one cares. <laughs> yeah. Exactly, because he's batshit crazy. Yeah. Um, I do have a friend who is a DC fan, and he just he just sent me a link on Comic Zine about the new Fifty Two villains that are coming out. So uh, the Joker's dead, so they're coming out with um, the Joker's daughter. Yes. Wait, the Joker's dead? Well, yeah, he died at the end of um, the Court of death, Owls. death of the Family. Oh, Death of the Family, that's or right. Or Death in the Family. No, Death of the Family. Death in the Family is the original. Death of the Family yeah. was the stupid-ass play on the original name. Yeah, so they're bringing back Joker Girl. Which is yeah, because you know when they kill off a character, they can't fucking think of anything new. So let's just like make the same character with a new person. Yes, and hey, you love the Joker. You're gonna love the Joker <laughs> with tits. I heard you love the Joker, so we put some tits on your Joker and made a titty Joker. <laughs> <laughs> but the the funny thing is, my my friend, he had posted that they're bringing back this evil Batman, who's going to be the rival to Batman. And he's oh, like Azrael. Yeah. Oh no, wait, Damian Wayne. Oh no, wait, every other fucking story they've ever done. Yeah, Wayne? Or, no. the, or the key. It was. It's come. I can't remember his name. I think he's called the Spectre or the Raptor. I think it's Raptor. Anyway, so it's an evil Batman, and they're like, "Oh yeah, we've got this new hero, uh, this new villain that's coming out." And my friend was like, "I have." 
the comic where this guy originally came out like 20 years ago. Yeah. And now they're marketing him as a, like an all new character. You know, I talked about this. I talked about this on my blog and I'm going to talk about it here that I, I feel this is this is why I have lost all interest in ongoing big two storylines. I just can't follow this bullshit anymore. They just just doesn't interest me, especially because they spend so much time just rehashing shit. And there will be like a five or five to eight year segment of time where they rehash the same story over and over and over yeah. and over again, and then realize, wait a minute, okay, we've reached we've reached the uh, zenith of being able to fucking. Uh, rehash this particular storyline. So then they then they finally go. Here's a new thing, and then they rehash that for five to eight years, and then they rinse repeat. Yeah, you have to, and you have to get somebody, some creative artist that takes those stayed favorites and they're they're old and makes makes them new. Like Grant Morrison, his yeah. his run on Batman and Batman's everybody knows it, but everybody loves what he does with it because mm-hmm. he's just so crazy. That he can think of a new way to spin it, I guess. So I really think that that anti uh, the new anti Batman is the key because so the key is the opposite of Batman in every single way. Um, for example, Bruce Wayne's family was killed by criminals, so he decided to you know wreak vengeance on criminals. The Key's family um, were criminals who were killed by cops, so he decided to take down cops. Um, so with like that twist, I mean uh, other things. Uh, everyone loves Batman. No one gives a shit about the Key. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, I, I whatever. It's, it, well, yeah, it was pretty much brought up in Unbreakable. Sorry, but you know, that yeah, there's don't, don't apologize. I love that movie actually. Oh, really? Because not a lot of people did. No, I really like that movie. They have to be the antithesis of the of the hero. Yeah, you know, I I don't know. I I've gotten to the point where I'm trying to even think. Like Cap, right now, Remender's Cap is the has become the only uh, big two. St- comic that i'm subscribed to right now everything else is the only thing that even comes close to being a big two comic is that that i have a couple of vertigo titles but i have nothing icon i have nothing marvel i have nothing dc i have a couple of image and almost everything else that i've got now is dynamite and idw and boom studios and like all small stuff by by what's what's funny is it's generally by the same creators that are doing the shit for Marvel and getting a paycheck from Marvel, but it's better stuff. Like to lead into what we've been reading the last few weeks, like a few of them. Um, uh, I started reading East of West by jo- Jonathan Hickman. Um, it's interesting. It's it's kind of a weird uh, like it's like across it's a western sci-fi thing in a in a strangely apocalyptic future where it's it's kind of a blade runner-esque like corporate apocalypse right the kind where the corporation these giant corporations have taken over the world kind of thing and there's wastelands it's a little judge dreadish i guess too but um it's kind of uh the the horsemen of the apocalypse come back to earth and uh start taking revenge on some uh, people that were responsible for sending them back to hell, um, oh. and it's a it's it's pretty cool. And it's Hickman. I like Hickman's. I like everything that Hickman does that isn't a big two like main book. Yeah. Well, I uh, can't even put more secret out. Damn it! Uh, right? <laughs> yeah. Like he's got other books. It's Started like where's really good. where's issue three of Secret? Fuck. Oh, he only ended up on two. I think yeah. I read the first one. The first one was like I'm in. Yeah, I'm in. me too. 
Yeah, it was great. So the four four horsemen come back into a post-apocalyptic. It was like, what? What do we got to do? <laughs> Job's already done. It's it's kind of it's a, a beer, re- it's it is kind of a revenge thing where yeah. they like they're coming back because somebody fucked them over at some point, and it's it. It's interesting. If it was a revenge thing, and at the end they realize that the person died like a hundred years before, <laughs> yeah. and they've just been wasting their yeah. time. Pestilence Fuck. comes back just to get that one, <laughs> that one girl they dated. Yeah. The uh, the other one that you I stood wanna... me up at prom. <laughs> have the plague. <laughs> you know what you gave me. <laughs> <laughs> no, anyway, the other one that I'm reading that I think I would highly suggest is Suicide Risk. Um, it's Mike Carey's new book, the guy that writes Unwritten um, and wrote Lucifer. Uh, it's really good. It's only it's only been out for one issue. I think the second issue comes out either this week or next week, and it's um, it's about a, a superheroes start popping up, and we find out in, through the course of the comic book they all have the same source. There's this thing that is turning people into superheroes. They turn into superheroes, and then eventually, almost every one of them, regardless of what their original intentions were, goes bad. And in the midst of a big superhero fight, there's uh, a normal unit of regular cops that goes out to try and control the situation. And a lot of them get killed and one of them gets like uh, permanently injured is, um, you know, can't walk anymore. And one of the other cops that survived the encounter for some reason um, has this, you know, he's got meant he he starts having problems with PTSD. what he has gone through yeah a little bit of PTSD so he kind of goes on his own to find the the people that are turning these people into superheroes um and i don't want to spoil the end of the book but it's it's really well done it's re- yeah. i mean it's mike carey right the guy's the yeah. guy's writing is spectacular the guy is wordy as fuck but it's really good and word. you know yeah. suicide risk isn't actually as wordy as other books it's not it's i mean it's not unwritten clearly it's not nearly that wordy and it's not as wordy as as uh lucifer because it's less about um there is more more kind of an action element to it than most of his other stuff it's not as dialogue heavy um and it's but it's really good after i mean i've only read one issue we'll see where it goes but i've i haven't been disappointed by mike carey's stuff in the past so um but it it sounds it sounds like a, a superhero book that's not about superheroes um it's kind of about superheroes it's it's but yeah it's um it's got a little bit of powers in it uh but it's more um it's more about kind of like the beat cop guys rather than mm-hmm. the detectives so yeah. i i really enjoyed it i thought it was a really good book and i i'm i'm looking forward to more um cuz uh mike carey's stuff i i'm i'm actually get this andy and i had this conversation the other day once i read i'm i'm on issue 30 of unwritten right now so 18 behind once I finish those, I'm actually going to be completely caught up on all of my monthly books. Impossible. Yeah, it's fucking wacky. Um, so I um, hopefully that will happen so that I can actually just start reading comic books if, as they come out every month. God, that'd be amazing. Wouldn't it? Maybe if you didn't buy every comic book that came out, you'd actually have a chance to I read some. buy every comic book. Maybe if you didn't buy 94% of all the comics that came out, you I, wouldn't. I am currently <laughs> looking at the Gears of War comic book. So, yeah, you pretty much buy every comic It's book. not for me. It's uh, for someone else. Uh-huh. Yeah. Just stick to that. Excuse Whatever, me. dude. 
Yeah. What about you, Joel? What have you been reading lately? Uh, you know, I haven't been reading much, but I did finally finish up Criminal from Brubaker, and it's... Hardcover Volume 1. Yeah, yeah, hard, Hardcover Volume 1. I didn't finish the uh, Innocence. Uh, Last, Last of the, the Innocence. Innocence. Thank you, guys. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I just finished the, the first one. Yeah, and it, <clears throat> it's just amazing. First of all, it's noir, and the fact that it's this world that he completely created, but each story is kind of interrelated with every other story, <clears throat> which makes it feel like a fully realized world. For you the know. listeners at home, Criminal Volume 1 includes Coward, Lawless, The Dead and the Dying, and Deadliest of the Species. It's also, um, it's kind of like a more realistic noir version of Sin City. Now wait, mm. uh, because of the way that the stories interact, not because of the like the subject matter. But it's the same style of thing. If, if somebody's read Sin City, the stories aren't always about the same characters, but they have little things that carry over or a character that'll carry over things like that it's kind of the same thing with criminal is it boston that it takes place in i don't think they ever say they never they never really do say yeah they just i I don't think they ever just a city it's crime city you know yeah because that's not really the setting it's the characters in the city it's well the bar yeah Mm -hmm. the the bar is kind of like the the one focal point that everybody ends up at yeah yeah, it's. I mean, there's some about the lawless family. There's other ones about the the crime boss and mm-hmm. and his son, and it's, it's utterly amazing. Yeah, it's really really good. Uh-huh. Yeah, so that's what I've been reading. I still need to get that incognito hardcover, like the incognito thing. So good. Yeah, yeah. I've heard good things about it. I have the first trade. I have never read it, but I'm just going to buy that that giant omnibus hardcover and and just call it a day. Uh, sleep. Actually, I want to change it up a little bit and talk about Sleeper for a minute because I reread that and hadn't thought about it. Um, the hardcover of Sleeper, if anyone has a chance to get it, is phenomenal because it, it has both season one and season two of Sleeper and Split Second, which was the three-issue story that takes place before Sleeper. Um, that's another uh, Sean Phillips, Ed Brubaker story it takes place in the Wildstorm universe. Um, it's a spinoff of Gen 13 and hmm. oh, what is the name? Stormwatch of at the time. Stormwatch probably. and uh, Lynch's project. I can't remember what it's called. Oh, right. But there's a guy who becomes like a double, double, double agent and he doesn't even know what side he's on anymore and the lines are very, very blurry. Um, how the ending gets handled I thought was brilliant because it is a happy ending to a certain extent, but not really. I don't <laughs> want to spoil it. Uh, it's Whoa. It might be actually Brubaker's best thing that I've read of his. A good oh, book. that's a big that's that's big big sayings it's, there, it's, sir. It's real good. But Sleeper was one of the first things he did. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. It was okay. before he'd sort of. I feel a little bit like it was before he knew his place, so he tried a bunch of stuff that he wasn't comfortable with. I wonder if Sleeper's the one that I need to get because I might have. I I have. I either have Incognito or Sleeper hardcover. I don't remember Sleeper which just one came out. Like, okay, then I, I have Incognito. I need to get Sleeper. Yeah. Is what? Okay, yeah. All, mm. all the the books that they um that duo has done, you know, Criminal, Sleeper, Incognito. Yep. Um, and those hardcovers, hardcovers are phenomenal. They're so good because they have a bunch of new material in the yeah. back. Um, I'm waiting. I'm excited because I'm reading Fatal right now as well, and uh, I'm and I know they're going to do a similar hardcover for Fatal, and I really really like that did book. The first run end, Fatal. Yeah, yeah. First arc. First arc uh, is I, six issues. I got to, I got to about four and then fell off on the issues. I couldn't find them anywhere and just gave up. Uh, they did two full 
No, they, it was. I thought it was four four issues, four issues, and now they were doing a bunch of singles, or is it five five and five? I think I thought it was six and five. Oh, maybe yeah. six and five uh, of two like full arcs, and then they've the last three issues have been uh, one shots of kind of expanding upon the history and mythology of this fatal character. Okay. So there's one of them that takes place in like medieval France. There's one of them that takes place in the old West. There's Wait, one of them that takes place the in fatal world war II. character. So fatal is actually the personification of something. Yes. Ah, um, I never got that far on that note. Are you keeping up with American vampire Luke? Uh, if not really, okay. I, I, I have, I'm buying the, I'm buying it in hardcover trades. Okay. I have not yet read the most recent hardcover trade. I haven't read the World War II one yet. I read the World War II one. It's good. Is it? Okay. I really liked it. So anyway, what about you, Joel? What are you reading? Um, Joel? Yeah. Joel? Uh, well, never, I'm reading, never mind. I'm, I'm looking reading at, looking at Andy. Oh, I say just, Joel. Uh, I suppose, uh, that's all right because I do that to you white guys too. Yeah. So. <laughs> I uh, just saw a black cat. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking crossed. Because <laughs> I love it. Um, it's getting to a point where at issue 50, they're going to finally explain how everything started. Um, I'm very concerned because any good zombie film or series falls apart when they go to the origin story. No, just ones by Brian K. Vaughn. You know, th- that's um, that's one of the biggest problems that I had with the Walking Dead TV show. Was that the Walking Dead comic book never explains nope. the zombie apocalypse? Doesn't feel it needs to. Doesn't need to. Doesn't need to. And then episode six at the end of the first season of the TV the show, CBC. fucking decided that they needed to somehow explain what was going on, and they failed. And it it actually was a terrible, terrible episode. Yeah, but <laughs> wait, they didn't. They never said the reason for the apocalypse. They just said we don't have a cure. They made they made very strong allusions to Everyone the standard like, yeah. They made very strong allusions to the story to the typical. Oh, it was the government thing that went awry. Blah 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 blah. Like yeah. Jesus, who cares? Fucking it was a it was a meteor from space. That would like, be so amazing if like Kirkman like for his last thing you know he's like you know flash like so let's say um, Walking Dead goes on for ten years and he's like. You know, the last episode is, like, the answer. Ten years and six months ago, and it just shows a meteor coming out of space <laughs> with zombies on it. <laughs> yeah, not not a virus. It's actually Angle got zombies, zombies, like, clutching onto yeah. the meteor. Just <laughs> trolls everyone. Oh. <laughs> that would be awesome. They burn up through the atmosphere, except it, for one severed head that just bites somebody <laughs> as it lands. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, damn it. In the beginning... <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Oh, leg, leg cramping, cramp in the leg. Oh god, I'm old. Um, my name's Luke. So yeah, it's crossed. It's man. I don't know how you can still read that piece of shit comic book. <laughs> god damn it! I've never been so. I mean, I'm usually an easygoing guy, but I read that and I was like, okay, this is too far. This needs to be burned. Circle assault. Oh, God damn it. Not only is it too far, it's just, it's it's so schlocky. I don't understand. Look, sometimes you want to eat a steak, sometimes you want a nice sloppy hamburger. <laughs> and sometimes you just really need a shit burger. Oh, that's what I was going to say, yeah. right? Yeah, like with bacon on it. 
Like there's mm. there's certain comic books that that qualify as that hamburger. Don't you like blackjack? Frost isn't one of it. No. Okay, never mind. I thought there was some terrible, terrible like valiant hero that you liked from no. back when you were a kid. No. Mm. Doctor Strange. Hmm. Valiant. Doctor hero. Strange is no. amazing. Bloodshot. No, it's not the Valiant guys. I'm not a Valiant fan. I I tried reading the new Exo Man of War and I got eight issues in and I'm like, this is boring. What about Magnus Robot Puncher? Magnus <laughs> Robot Puncher, Ninjack. <laughs> oh, God. Shadowhawk was that another one? Oh, Shadowhawk's terrible. No, was I don't. It? I don't think I have one of those. I think you're thinking of Eddie and his Spawn affection. No. So for the last uh, week and a half-ish, we have been reading uh, Superior. I read it last night. Uh, <laughs> it is... You paid uh, the iron price for it, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> um, I bought it on Comixology because I was stupid and waited too long, and holy God, it's, it's still fucking expensive. Mark Millar stuff does not get iron price. It's two ninety nine for issues one through six and four ninety nine for issue seven. It's a double-sized issue. <sighs> Well, it's, it's actually more like a three-quarter size issue. <laughs> yeah. What? Um, so this came out, uh, the, the seven issues of this book, it was originally supposed to be a six-issue miniseries, uh, and it came out in, 2000, it started in 2010, in December 2010. It didn't finish until, seven issues didn't finish until the middle of 2012. Yep. Um, because there were two major delays in there. I think issues one through four, I want to say, came out, and then yep. there was a delay, and then five and six came out, and then seven didn't come out for like four months. It was fucking hilarious, because I read it as singles initially, and... Uh, like one through four comes out, and I'm super stoked. And then you know it's like six issue miniseries, six issue miniseries, six issue miniseries. I'm like, okay, cool, cool. Five comes out, and I'm like, how the fuck are they gonna wrap this up in a <laughs> single issue? Issue six comes out, I'm like, well, I'm I'm gonna be impressed or mortified. Oh, it didn't finish. There's another issue. Okay. Yeah. And that's exactly what they were just like, uh, fuck it, let's squeeze some more water out of this rock. I still love um, the analogy about fucking uh, diamond head. Um, it was either Kick-Ass or something like that, because War Heroes, is like, you know, issue one came out, three months went by, issue two came out, issue three came out, another three months later, and then it just stopped. And uh, Nemesis was, you know, bi-monthly at best. Uh, this had, you know, like a three-month hiatus or a six-month hiatus. Um, then there was the Hulk, Wolverine, Old Man Logan thing that, you know, there was like a, a five-month hiatus between the second to last and last issues. So Diamond shows a... Hit Girl, the comic, it's like, or Kick-Ass 2, it's like, now coming out every month. It's like, really? That's, that's what you need? Yeah, you really want to do that? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's some bold fucking promises. So, um, this is, uh, the, the trades, the hardcover trade came out in uh, 2012, and the softcover trade actually just came out in February of this year. Uh, I'm not sure why they had a, it was like an eight-month gap. They came out the hardcover first, and then had an eight-month gap before they came out with the softcover, which I'm not quite sure about but um, sell those hardcovers yeah you know i'm i'm i actually don't necessarily mind that but i i really don't think that there's i don't know i don't i don't think there's a hell of a lot i think i've talked about this before i don't think there's a hell of a lot of crossover there i think if they were to release hardcovers and softcovers simultaneously i i honestly think they'd probably sell more hardcovers than softcover well I shouldn't say that because there's probably a lot more people that buy soft covers because they're cheaper. But I, I don't think that there would be a difference like in a sales, noticeable a noticeable difference in the sales of the two different types. 
they they still have a total number that they would sell, and that number would be the same. Because I don't think there's, I certainly don't think if they release a hardcover first, I don't, I certainly don't think anybody's going to be clamoring to go replace their hardcover with a soft cover. Vice versa, maybe. Like I can see, I can see them double dipping people by releasing a soft cover first, and then a year later they come out with a hardcover, and then people are like, "Yeah, I want to get my hardcover." And then I get ten a hard years later, version. they release the omnibus oversized edition. Exactly. I mean, um, so like, I guess the two lines of logic, I guess people would probably go with are if you release the hardcover first. Um, well, actually, I'll start out the other way. You release the soft cover first, people buy it, and then you release the hard cover, and people are like, oh, I want the nice, fancy version of this. Right. On the other hand, if you release a hard cover of something that's really, truly good, and then release a soft cover later, uh, people who really enjoy the story and want other people to read it would be more likely to lend out a soft cover. I've definitely done that with stuff. That's true, I did but. That with I'd, Casanova. But imagine I, my, my argument to that line of logic is. There are way fewer people who are going to buy a soft cover as a loner than there are people who will replace a soft cover with a hard cover. I can see that. I'm so, not saying it's necessarily sound logic. I'm just saying yeah. that might be the thought process. I don't know. It. Or maybe they just were intend. Uh, maybe they were just intending to only release a hard cover, but then it sold well enough that they decided to do more or something. Yeah. Who knows? But yeah. um, in any case, this is. It was written. It was written by Mark Millar and uh, uh, drawn by Lionel Yu. I. I've always liked Lionel Yu's art. Um, he's super talented. He's really talented. He's really good stuff. It was released by Icon, which is the Marvel Vertigo imprint, like their version of Vertigo. Does Lionel um, Yu remind you of Stuart Immonen? Immonen? Immonen. A little bit. Uh, Stuart Immonen. The thing. Stuart Immonen has like a very specific style, but uh, but yeah, I can see. I can see where there's you a can get that. There's a. There's a. They, they're parallel. close. Parallel, yeah, yeah parable. parable. <laughs> there's a parable there somewhere. There's a, there's a moralistic story of some sort in the... Whatever. Yeah. Um, so, uh, the first thing... the first I, I, I We'll talk about Mark Millar's writing later. I want to talk about Lionel Yu's art first. Um, I like his art in this book. I think he's super talented. I like the, the, the way he draws things. However, I think... Joel, hand Andy the book so he stops waving his f- hand in my face. <laughs> um, that won't stop me. So I like Lionel Yu's art in this book. I think it's generally well done. However, there's so much gratuitous TNA in this book. Like, And when I say that, I don't mean that there is a lot of TNA in this book. I mean that the TNA that is in it it's there is to be there. 100% gratuitous. For example, there is a scene uh, in the issue in issue three where um, Superior is running around the world saving all this stuff. And in one particular instance, there is a truck that has fallen on the train tracks, and he stops an oncoming train before it hits the truck and the workers. And in the scene where they show the people inside the train getting thrown around the train by the sudden stop... There is there is a woman in the air, and it's it's like her bra is sticking out the top of her shirt, and it's a gratuitous panty shot. Like her skirt is all hiked up, and it's there is zero reason for it, and it's so aggravating because I feel I really feel in the core of my being that that was a Millar thing, where he was like, "No, you need to draw bigger, you need to draw bigger tits on this Panties. reporter chick, Panties. and uh, we need some, we need some." panties in this shot you draw hot women so draw some more hot women 
Do you and think maybe he put direction in there? It's like, hey, this is a place for a gratuitous panty shot. I would not put it past Mark Millar. Okay. Yeah. It does sound a little out out of left field that somebody would do that, but then it's Millar. So I yeah. can, I can and To be fair, I don't have as much experience with Lionel Yu's art to find out if he is the type of guy that normally does gratuitous TNA, but um, I just felt like, especially the, the narrator girl, the reporter chick, Maddie, mm-hmm. um, yes, they make a point that she's not a very good person and that she was really so hyper-concerned with her looks, mm-hmm. which is... V- fucking Millar um but but then on top of it she's she's supposed to be this Pulitzer Prize winning reporter and yet she's she she's got every shirt she's got first of all she's got like double d breasts and every shirt she's got is cut down below them Mm -hmm. she's always got a yards of cleavage and it's just but isn't it I'm pretty sure in the book that's how she got her Pulitzer. Is that she looked her? She used her good looks to get special favors in order to get that. Using good looks is one thing, but like the way that they draw her is just—it's—it's it's over the top, even for that, in my opinion. I don't know. So, I—I I don't know. For at least for that character, I think there was a reason for it, for her to be like that. That's because, that's fair. I mean, there's more of a reason for that than there is for the gratuitous panty shot of the of the woman in the train. Yep. Um, there and those kinds of shots happen all over the place. Where whenever they have a character that like a like a background character or a group of of people in the background, there is always at least one Nipple gratuitously slip. TNA girl like somewhere in that shot, somewhere underdressed. Yeah, the beach scene. Thanks. Um, I'm just so okay. Um, there's a, a panel where it's a beach scene. And you know it's you know it's people on the beach whatever, um, and then there's the top half of the page is you know beach shot, and then the, there's a middle slim bar where it's someone's feet, and then there's a old like the next panel is an older couple, and in the background there's just this crotch shot of a girl wearing a thong, just for no reason. Yeah, and it's actually comical. and in the, and in the in the front uh, in the in the top panel where it's the beach scene, there's no shit far left a a girl. Bent over, squeezing her boobs together, and then on the right hand side, there is literally a girl posing with her hand on her ass. It is just like, come on, dude! It's a beach. It's not a goddamn. It's not a goddamn photo Sounds shoot. Like a Hawkeye nomination. Right yeah, um, I don't know. So to get off the subject of of the gratuitous TNA, the rest of the artwork in the book is actually pretty phenomenal. Like I'm. I love the end of the first issue where it's got Superior leaning against the wall talking to his buddy. Yeah. He's like, I think I'm in serious shit. Yeah. And and that's the thing. I, I, like, I like the artwork in the book, but this is something that I said when I reviewed, I think I reviewed issues three and four for, for IGN a long time ago. I hate the coloring in this book. I think it... Really? I think it shits on Lionel Yu's art in a lot of places. Sometimes it's okay. Sometimes it's just fucking there, there's terribly there overdone. There are three colorists. There are? Okay. Yeah. Well, okay, I'm going to th- try and pronounce some names here because I don't know who it is. Sonny Go. Uh, Javier. Javier Tartaglia. Tartaglia and Dave McCaig. I'm pretty sure it's Javier Tartaglia's uh, coloring because that, if I'm remembering right from my review, but there is there are a couple of issues in here where the coloring is so 
ridiculously overdone. Like we're talking like original Spawn crappy, mm. um, and it just. It's a shame because, like, because, like I said, Lionel Yu's art is is actually really, really good, and it's, um, it's really well done. Yeah, I think it's this, it's this shit. It's like that that coloring looks terrible. <laughs> There's no blending. It's just jagged color differentiation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, maybe that was the style. It's very going for. similar to uh, Last Days of American Crime to a certain extent. It seems oh, kind I of totally disagree. Pastelly. You know, there's a lot of a lot of light tones, a lot of pastels, and it seems like one of the reasons may, maybe this could have been a choice that this is a story about a kid who's kind of in the heyday and living a dream, so it's kind of dreamlike. Because uh, you know, whenever the whenever the monkey comes into it, it just it starts getting dark reds. Fucking space monkey. Yeah, it starts getting dark reds and and a little bit darker. But everything with Superior is purples and light blues and really yeah. light yellows. I'd, maybe it could have been a choice. I don't know. Who yeah, knows? I'm, I could be reading into it a little bit. Yeah. Anyway, so um, let's uh, let's 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 go ahead. <laughs> let's go ahead and talk about Millar. Oh, um, okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna step into the Luke Matthews hates everything uh, scenario because. I thought this book was terrible. Step into it. You live there. I, I anyway, do. Go I ahead. do. Permanent residence. I thought okay. I thought this book was just I just it's not good. And it's not that it's to be entirely honest like from an overall story perspective, mm. I don't think this book is nearly as bad as some of other of Millar's stuff that I've read. Nope. That's um, the only reason why I recommended it. I do think on a de- when you get down into the details of it, there aren't details. Uh, that's kind of the problem. I, I don't think it's bad. I think it's simple. It's not, the, but that's the problem. It's not the simplicity of it. It's the execution of that simplicity that bothers me. And that's the yeah, I, we kind of talked about this before we started podcasting. But um, like I can understand that you know this is a it, it's sort of a parable to um, oh my god what's the fucking DC character. Shazam. Shazam, Mr. Shazam. Marvel, yeah, Shazam or Mr. Marvel, where you've got a kid, Captain Marvel, Captain actually, Marvel who becomes you know the superhero, and that story was told originally in the forties or fifties. Which is funny because they actually um, they actually cr- uh, talk about Joe Schuster at the end. They, they dedicate it to Joe Schuster, so it's there there it's their homage to Superman, even though it's more Shazammy because yeah. it's a little kid in a big guy, big superhero's body. Yeah. Um, and like that story hasn't really been told with a new interpretation in you know sixty years or something yeah. like that, so maybe seventy years. So I can see where they're going, even though they say it's Superman. Um, they haven't retold the story, but I think that the the best interpretation of the Shazam character that has ever been done is still his part in Kingdom Come, like where he has been basically driven mad by his by his power and gets convinced by Lex Luthor that he needs to kill Superman and since his powers are magic based he actually can and there's there is a one of this one of the few things that I DC scenes that I love a lot was the scene where he finally goes after Superman and it is this creepy fucking scene where Shazam is standing over Superman repeatedly hitting him with lightning magic lightning over and over and it's just Superman pleading for his life trying to get something to something through to this guy and he's just dead-eyed staring at Superman just repeating Shazam Shazam 
Shazam as he's fucking firing lightning bolts into his head, and that is that's awesome. I still was it is that okay? Kingdom Come is the one where Bruce Wayne puts on like the gauntlets and just beats the fuck out of Superman, the uh, the Krypton gauntlets. Uh, I believe so. Or Kryptonite so. gauntlets. I and think so. Yeah. Uh, is uh wait, what's the DC Hawk uh, or uh, Green Arrow? Yeah, Green Arrow has lost his arm, and he can still shoot Superman from like three miles away using his teeth to pull the bowstring. <laughs> Um, so this, this particular interpretation, my, I think my biggest problem with it is that it, it's, it doesn't bring anything exciting or new to this type of storyline. It does like this, the, as an idea, the whole reboot of an old school superhero, like we've talked about this several times on this show with, with other things that we've read. Um, and, and I know before the show I said this and I didn't say this with Joel here, but that's actually been Joel's recommendation last several times have been kind of new takes on old superheroes because it seems like that's one of your things that you like in, in comics. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, it is something that I like. It's <clears throat> and, and also also one thing that I really enjoy is comics that bring superheroes into the real world. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that was one of the things with uh, Squadron Supreme. And they had George Bush and Clinton, and this one has Obama, Obama, in, Obama in it too. So I it, hate the I hate the drawing of Obama. Yeah, it it's doesn't more of a caricature than yeah with the ears. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They really, of course, everybody's going to over accentuate the ears. Um, but it's it's one of those things where okay, we have all these problems in the world. Hey, if we just add superheroes to the mix, what would happen? And sometimes, like they. You know, it's it's kind of glossy and, and sugar coated, like in this this book, or it could be not so glossy and covered with shit, like in Squadron Supreme. Okay. So I, I, I just always like, okay, if we have this context that everybody's, re- you know, related to because we live it, and you're just throwing superheroes, what happens? So I my issue, God, I've got I've got a lot of minor problems with this book. Yeah, right. I, it's not like. It's it's not a problem like I had with Kickass where I just hated everybody in the book, um, and it's but and it's the same thing with like um, Nemesis I didn't like because everybody was a jerk. Everybody's a fucking I jackass. I love everyone at Nemesis just being complete douchebags. Yeah, and but that's okay. That's my primary problem with Mark Millar's writing. Is that you feel that everyone has the same voice? Everyone has the same voice. Yep. Everybody's a douchebag, regardless of who they are. Even when he tries to add a sympathetic twist to a character, it comes off sardonic. Mm. It's, not, mm. it's not realistic. Like, for example, it, two, two biggest problems I have with this book. One, the dialogue between the kids at the very beginning. Twelve-year-old kids don't talk like that. They don't talk like that. We ha- and I'll, I'll repeat what I said before the show so that pe- the listeners can hear it. Mm. Um, 12-year-old kids, for the most part, even when they're not around adults, don't swear a lot. Unless they are... Um, you know, so I, I grew up around redneck kids and occasionally redneck kids would. Inner city kids, I can see that when they're when they're kind of going over the top and trying to be like, you know, when they're in the type of clique that that promotes that kind of language. But two kids like in this situation, they're both basketball players. They're normal kids. One kid has multiple multiple sclerosis and has, you know, his everything's kind of been taken away from him. These two kids would not speak like this. They, it just doesn't come across like two 12-year-old kids. When I was reading it, I was like, wow. I was even thinking to myself, 
these don't sound like 12 year olds and i'm like th- i had a moment where i'm like well okay maybe they're later in high school maybe that maybe these characters are supposed to be like 17 or something in their senior year or something and then they said flat out that they were 12 yeah, so they're <laughs> middle school and i'm like okay then this then these don't sound like kids and then that when the adults speak they sound just like the kids do the kids sound just like the adults every character that Millar writes sounds like every other character that Millar writes and then the second problem was when what I said before when you have this character this narrator character who's a who's a Maddie who's a twat she's like she is a complete and utter bitch she's a manipulative woman who does who literally not even not even hinting at the idea that she sleeps with people to to get things. She just flat out says it. Oh, I'm mm. going to fuck this guy to get a story. Mm-hmm. And um, and then they try to make her like the sympathetic twist character where... She redeems herself in the end. She yeah. tries to redeem herself in the end by telling... By showing... Uh, Simon that she was once a leukemia patient and she contributes to this uh, hospital for chil- this children's hospital or hospice yeah um, and it doesn't it just doesn't something about the way Mark Millar writes that segment and that character it doesn't sound like a sympathetic redemption it sounds it just comes across fake mm. and I, and that's my biggest problem. Like, not only is the story simplistic, it is executed in a way that makes it makes it feel like this is this was written by a twelve year old who was like, "Ha ha, look at what I got." And then he, I understand what he was trying to do at the end with Sup- Superior and Abraxas fighting each other, and they were both like, um, you know, they're both kids in adults' bodies. Um, I kind of get what he was trying to do with the way that he made the language in that where like the guy the kid that got turned into a Braxis was just a douchebag 12 year old right so he speaks like a douchebag 12 year old and he calls people retards and he's like i'm gonna kick your ass but what but it ends up deflating the climax of the book for me the way that he handled it i i've okay i've rambled on for a while i what do you guys think about anything that i've said (sighs) okay well first of all i i don't like millar I'm not. I'm not a big Millar fan. It was ever since Kick-Ass because I thought when I first started wanted re- or wanted, yeah, oh, wanted, fuck wanted. Uh, when I when I was reading Wanted, I thought it was amazing it, at first. When it starts, I was like, okay, yeah, this guy, he's starting. He's he has all these powers that he doesn't realize, and then when he starts realizing them, that he's a bad guy. I was like, okay, this is a pretty cool take. And then it just he he runs out of steam, and then at the end of reading this he flips his reader off with Eminem like I'm so edgy look at this I'm flipping you off because you actually bought this comic book and read it you douchebag Um, ever since then I've I've not really liked Millar and to tell you the truth I got this superior because a friend had an extra one of these and he's like I don't want it do you want to have it and I was like sure I'll take it and I read it and first of all my my douche detector was on on high because I've I've read read yeah after reading Wanted and 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 Kick Ass I was like okay there's there's got to be some way that he's going to make this irreverent and put a little Millar spin on it because Millar's whole thing is he takes known comic book heroes and then puts his Millar stamp on it 
to make it his own. Turns everybody into a douche because he has a, such a horribly cynical view of the world around exactly. him that he believes that everybody is as big an asshole as he is. Yeah, yeah. And this didn't have it at all. Okay. It wasn't cynical at all. So, you know, and that's the no, one thing I, totally I was going to disagree. Um, so Superior is Superman or Shazam? Ne- Superior is Shazam. Okay. Uh, Nemesis is Batman. Yeah. Um, or arguably you could say that Kick-Ass is Batman. Uh, Kick-Ass. Uh, I, 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 Nemesis is, is, Nemesis is definitely Batman. Batman. But uh, what Kick-Ass, is Kick-Ass is his homage to all the comic book fans. Readers, comic book fans, yeah. Okay. So uh, what is Wanted then? I don't. Kn- is that a, is that a love letter to superhero villains? I think so. I'm I, trying to remember because I'm, tr- I'm trying to think of what the analogy is because because wanted wanted in wanted it was the one where he gets recruited into a group that he thinks are superheroes right and it turns out no, that they're actually super. He doesn't villains, ever or? think that like they're superheroes. They're straight up villains because his father was a villain. Yeah, he, yeah. His, he get, takes his dad's title. Yeah, I've only I, read it once. I and think I've, it was just comic books in general. Okay. Yeah. He was taking comic books and flip it over. He's like, hey, instead of the Justice League, we have, you know, we're following the Legion of Doom. It's like one, two, and they actually went kick ass or two sides of the same coin. Yeah. And then, of course, Red Sun is is Superman as Soviet. See, the, Soviet here, Russia. Here's and f- old man Logan is the good, the bad, and the ugly, if I remember correctly. Yeah. So here's the thing that I've found. Like, yeah. Millar's. Yeah, never caught that. When Millar has direction from a. From um, a larger entity like Marvel where he's writing something like Old Man Logan or from DC where he's doing Red Sun even though it's an Elseworlds title or Ultimates or Ultimates yeah. I feel like I enjoy his I enjoy his ideas and it's it's very similar to Brian K. Vaughn in a different way where Brian K. Vaughn has great ideas and poor he can't execute an ending Mark Millar has uh, great ideas but when he has nobody to rein him in mm-hmm. he just he he's all over the place he's all over the place he turns people into douchebags he can't write a sympathetic character to save his life the beauty when he's given a character like old man logan is that one logan's kind of a dick anyway um so good two (laughs) he has marvel editors telling him how that character is supposed to fit within the universe that they've created so he has somebody holding him back and saying okay we like what you're doing here but this doesn't sound right. You need to you need to give these characters a certain voice, right? So when yeah. he has that, I like his writing. I like the way he does it. He, ha- he has some amazing ideas, like that are just you know not really like fully fleshed out, but they don't have to be. For example, yeah. uh, Old Man Logan, the Venom suit taking over the T Rex. <laughs> yeah, that is so cool. You see that, and you're just like, fuck. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, and then Black Bolt, and then Black Bolt just, just yeah. drops it. I just um, I disagree that there's no that the cynicism doesn't c- come through in this because I think that's exactly what Maddie does to this book. I think that her but, I think that her narration, even though you're technic- even though technically she's supposed to redeem herself at the end, which doesn't feel right to mm-hmm. me, um, the narration through a good chunk of the book was still a lot of of. Yeah, I'm a bitch. Yeah. yeah, and I was a bitch, and I'm gonna act like a bitch. And because I'm telling the story of the time when I was a bitch, the only time you're ever gonna see me is me being a bitch. And even when I'm not being a bitch, I'm in my underwear. Yeah, awesome. Well, th- okay, so so <laughs> let me let me just 
counterpoint that. Okay, so she is a bitch because that's how she's made it through the world. She realized, hey, if I'm going to get ahead, I have to be a bitch and I have to do this. Sleep with guys? Yeah, sure, because that's anything I'm, I'm willing to do in order mm-hmm. to make my job and make it ahead. And <clears throat> one of the things with this story is we have this kid who has MS, has all these hopes and dreams, and they're destroyed by this disease, and then all of a sudden he becomes a superhero, and he's mm-hmm. able to do everything that he's always wanted to do when it, when he would get into adulthood, like he he can save the world, he can feed the hungry, he can rid sure. the world of nuclear weapons, all the stuff that that a, a non-cynical kid that hasn't been beat down by life could do because they have this fresh viewpoint. And the reporter herself is already cynical because she started off as that mm-hmm. kid. She had leukemia at that one time, and then she realized, oh, you know what, if I can do this... And it works. It's like, oh, hey, I get a Pulitzer for, you know, showing some ass and giving up a little. And then she just keeps on doing that. And then at the end, where the scene where it was all taken away from Simon and he's a kid, she realizes herself, oh, shit, you know, this guy's just a kid and that's why he's doing all this stuff. And I used to be like that, too. But instead, somewhere along the way, I lost my path and became this cynical bitch. And that that was what I saw from the redemption. And. Real quick. Have either of you guys read Kinetic? No. It was an eight-issue limited series. It was uh, DC, Jesus, ten years ago, probably did uh, between five and eight books, where in each book, one person in the world got superpowers. Mm. Uh, Kinetic was about this kid who had, like, 30 different genetic ailments. You know, just everything was wrong with him. And mm. he was super, like, uh, anemic, um, you know, like brittle bones, that sort of stuff. Mr. Glass. Uh, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. And he decides, uh, early on in the first issue, he decides that he's you know he doesn't want to burden his mom and whatnot, so he decides to walk out in front of a truck. When he does that, the kinetic force of that gives him superpowers. Like, Kay. all these things were leading up to this. And it deals with, all of a sudden, this kid who has been super fragile his entire life is indestructible. And he doesn't decide to go save the world or anything. He decides to hit on a girl. <laughs> that's yeah. because that's everything that he always wanted to do. Yeah, and it just fails. It backfires so badly in his face because he, you know, it's first time he's ever tried doing that sort of stuff. And at the end of the book, he loses his powers, but they also cured all his diseases. So he's just a normal kid at that point. Mm-hmm. And he's like, "Huh, this book reminds me a lot of that, except that is infinitely more well written. Mm. It's not nearly as simplistic, but it's not as fun." This book is fun. Yeah. That's and that's that's where I'm going. <clears throat> this book feels like it was it feels like he's storyboarding a movie. Oh, yeah. a simple movie. Yeah. Um which it, is funny because I found out that Matthew Vaughn, the guy that directed Kick-Ass, owns the rights to Superior as well, mm-hmm. of course, because when I'm reading through this I'm like this isn't this is just an outline. This isn't a story. And that's what it felt like to me. It's like this is an outline with some action sequences in it. It doesn't feel like a fleshed out story because it doesn't. Yeah, um, didn't he sell the rights like halfway through it? <laughs> yeah. Before he's like, oh, I can make a movie out of this. Ah, I guess I really got to think I don't about think it. that he has not sold the rights to any of his comics that yeah. he has published. Yeah. That's his thing. That's what he wants to do. Uh-huh. Well, and and what what I'm hoping here is is that I like the I like the idea behind this because I like the concept of the whole, you know, the the kid with the ailment that took everything away, he gets a chance to do something bigger than himself. Um, gets a chance to to take a break away from 
uh, all of the problems that he's had in order to do something good good in the world. Um, and there's there's some interesting bits in there that I thought were just there's no there's no subtlety to this book at all no, zero none none no. um, because I mean everything that every point that he wants to get across to you he just tells you yeah um, even down to the point where you know the kid is like uh, you know. I've got all these super I've got all these superpowers and I can fly and everything's great but the the best thing for me is just being able to get up and walk and being able to wiggle my toes and blah 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 blah. And um I don't remember what I was saying. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, I, and, and I think the one of the one of the things derailed. is and the reason why it wasn't so cynical because he was trying to do it like a Superman movie. At the end, he says this is dedicated to Christopher Reeve and Richard Donner. Mm-hmm. You know, and it, if you do look at those early Christopher Reeve movies, it's very, it's very popcorny that kind sure. of stuff. There's there's no there's no thing that's like there's convoluted and there's layers upon layers and people are really deep character development. There's none of that. It's just Superman flying around. And there's there's a lot of scenes from that too, like the the one scene where Simon flies in on the um uh, on the journalist and it's straight from Superman. Yeah. Where it lands on her balcony and everything. That was actually the the scene that I was going to mention that I actually one of the only scenes in this book that I felt they really got the the feel of the kid in the superhero body just nailed it hard mm-hmm. and it was mostly due to it to due to Lionel Yu's art but a little bit to the writing where he's on the back of the cargo plane flying into I think it was Kandahar and he's about he's standing on the back of the plane and there's the soldiers around him and he's about to go in and he he says something like you know is everything ready to go and one of the soldiers just says to him yeah we've we've cleared everything out per your instructions sir and he just turns and just says awesome and <laughs> and just the look on superior's face and the the way that that was delivered was just really well done and i thought it was it really captured the the like the little kid right the kid's like <laughs> i'm gonna go kick some ass <laughs> you know yeah. it's just like yeah i'm gonna go fight big stompy robots and, and a little bit later as i remember to keep civilian casualties to a minimum is like don't worry i'm not gonna kill anyone yeah um, I don't know. I overall that that is probably the only scene in this book that that I actually really enjoyed. Um, the rest of it just felt too forced. Yeah, it felt too forced and too too simplistic and too like everything's hammering you in the face. And what what where it where there's this weird um, disconnect for me is that I feel like this would have been a great story um, that. Sh- if if they had taken if they had taken the swearing out mm. right and made the dialogue softened the children's dialogue a little bit regardless of the adults softened but not removed a little bit of the sexual overtone of Maddie and written this story for like an all ages audience I think it would have been awesome the simplicity of it and the way that it's written is great would have been a great story for you know quote unquote young adults or or that kind of middle grade area of of comic book readers but he makes it so simplistic that as an adult comic book reader, um, it's just, just no. 
I'm just like, meh. Not to mention the fact that I'm going to go into spoiler territory here for anybody that hasn't read this, so I'm just warning you the next few minutes is going to be spoilerific. The the end of the book where Maddie comes in and reveals, quote unquote, oh, you, you know, you, you got him to sell his soul to the devil, but you made him invincible and he can never die. Oh, now you're never going to get your soul. That's the first thing I thought. The very first thing when they when when what's his face reveal when the space monkey reveals that he's a demon and that he's trying to get the soul, the very first thing I thought to myself was, "But you just made him immortal. So what good does it do you?" And I was like, and that was supposed to be like some big reveal at the end, and I'm just like, "Well, he is a lesser demon." He's not yeah. very smart. I mean, and he wasn't he's very not very smart. smart. He's a stupid demon, his, and I get his that. His style choices sort of, you know... Like, look in the backstory. He's been trying to get one soul for 10,000 years or whatever, and yeah. has not been able to do it. Yeah. And I um, and, and that's, you know, it's actually when uh, the first time I read the first couple issues, I read issues three and four without reading the middle, without reading the rest of it, and I, I initially had a problem with the, the space monkey thing, but once they explained that, I actually, it doesn't, it doesn't bother me at all. It's I, like, he picked a no. character from the superior, mo- from an old superior movie and made that his visage, and okay, whatever, that's fine. Um, smart enough to know the, the subtle in, like interactions of the background characters, not smart enough to realize you've made someone immortal. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> so, I don't know. I, I just, I didn't enjoy it. I The best thing I can say about it is that I, I read ha- it, hated it less than some other Mark Millar stuff, but still don't like it. Hey, that's a win for me. <laughs> that is a win for me. That's all I um, I'm. I, I gotta throw a burn out there. I can't. I can't recommend this to anybody. It's. It's not. It's just not good, and I just don't like it. So, uh, I would. You? I would borrow it, just like I. I did. <laughs> okay. Well, actually, I got this lent to me, given to me. So, yeah, borrow it. Yeah. Bye. Yeah. It's simple. It's fun. It's a quick read. It is not a complex book, and it is a nice change of pace. It's a good palate cleanser if you just want to read like the story about a kid who has all his dreams fulfilled and does all right in the end. Yeah. Perfect choice. Yeah. So for the next uh, couple episodes in a row, we are going to do we're going to do noir for the next episode as a collection of noir short comic stories um, that Andy suggested, uh, including some really really good talent. Ed Brubaker's in there. Uh, I think uh, some other people that are awesome. Oh too, God! So. White, uh, Fa- uh, Fabio Moon, Gabriel Ba. Sweet. Um, shit. People. People. Awesome Pe- people. Excellent people. Excellent stories. Everyone's fucked. Um, and then after that, we're going to do the trade paperback of Comeback, which is a, a, an Ed Brisson and Michael Walsh time travel storyline, um, kind of a noir time travel storyline, which is pretty cool. And the reason we're doing that is also we uh, we will be going up to Vancouver uh, in the middle of June to to actually talk to Ed Brisson and uh, Johnny Christmas about their about their upcoming book, Sheltered. And um, so we're going to probably we're going to try to have both of those in the same episode, have the interview in there and have the, the review of comeback in there as well. Um, 
So yeah. Anyway, we're we'll do Noir. We'll be doing Comeback. Uh, Anne had a suggestion for a book that I can't remember what it is. So if you want to figure out what the show after Comeback is going to be, just listen to the last episode. <laughs> Fifty will be. Uh, 50 planetary. we're doing planetary and we're doing the entirety of planetary all for all 50 planetary. all 28 issues all 28 issues uh, f- all four hardcover trades that I've got on my shelf so um, planetary will be issue 50 two um, omnibuses omnibus yeah. yeah yeah, yeah. They, they, oh that's right they did an absolute planetary yeah, oh, they're didn't fucking they? yeah. spectacular and they're great yeah. I, I wouldn't mind I just don't I just don't like absolute editions because they don't fit on my shelf and yeah. it pisses me off but those four hardcovers are actually really cool too oh uh, yeah it's so I gotta say that was one of the, the that was one of the <laughs> sorry was very I was talking into my fist yeah I, I gotta <laughs> say that was one of the first comic books that kind of threw my stereotypes for a loop yeah yeah, yeah I really like planetary it's, yeah, it's, it's good Good stuff. So that's why we're doing it for issue fifty or issue. Yeah, we're going back to yeah. the old days of the show. Uh, episode fifty. Holy shit! That this show has been going for about two and a half years, and we're up to uh, episode fifty already, which is pretty awesome. So, um, if you want to email us questions or comments, do it to trade secrets at geekerific dot com. Or you can hit us up on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash tradesecretspodcast. Or you can hit us up on Twitter at tradesecretspod. Uh, We're all individually on Twitter as well. I am at Geek Elite. Uh, Joel is at Superfly, spelled strangely. Uh, Andy is at Mathtastrophe. Um, and it's, you look like you were about to say something, uh, and then you stopped. I was. Just, I want to reiterate that um, before issue or episode fifty. Wow! Okay. God damn it! Yeah. Uh, before episode fifty, seriously, if you have not read Planetary, read it. We're going to spoil the hell out of it. Yeah, absolutely. That book mm-hmm. is too good to have spoiled. Yeah. And to be honest, uh, that's why we announce our our books in in advance. We want this to be kind of a book club thing. So if you guys have, uh, if you have stuff that if you have the books that we are about to read, then go out, read them, send us questions or comments. If you have something that you want to include in the show, send that to us. So if you've read Noir or if you've read uh, Planetary or if you've read Comeback before we do those episodes, send us information. We'll, we'll, we'll discuss, send us discussion topics. We'll talk about them on the show, questions about the book, things about our opinions. Um, let us know. So like I said, it's, it's trade secrets at geekerific.com. Uh, Twitter, Facebook, if you hit us up at any of those places, we will, we will use your questions and comments on the show. Uh, thank you, thank you, Andy, for lending us your apartment on a Saturday or Sunday morning. Is it Sunday already? It's Sunday. Fuck. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Joel, thanks for thanks for coming up from all the way from the fucking airport uh, on a Sunday morning. You're you're welcome. Thank you. I am Luke. This has been episode forty six of the Trade Secrets Podcast, and we are out. Working